are. Hey, good evening. This is Tim Ackesy from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm on with Tr Trisha Trester. Trisha Trester. Trisha and I both grew up with stuttering, um, taking it into adulthood. It's unique because she has one, two, three children who stutter. So we have a mother and three kids in the same family who stutter. And what we're going to talk about this evening is how to support children who stutter in the school. And I can't think of anyone more qualified than an adult who stutters and a mother of three who stutters. We're going to learn about her children, their school settings, and how to support kids who stutter. Um, Trisha, please tell us a, a bit about you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk about stuttering. It's one of my favorite topics. Um, I started stuttering at age seven after a cross-country move. And uh, I have three children, all redheads, who all stutter. They all started stuttering between age two and four. And they are all in different schools. I have one in public school, one in private school, and one in Christian school. And that looks different for each of them um, in the way that we support them. It also is different for each of them because they're all autistic and they have different presentations of that mm -hmm. as well as being dyslexic. And so uh, it's been definitely an adventure helping them along the way. Thank you. So my history, very briefly, I started to stutter in second grade, immediately peers picked up on it, teasing and bullying, mocking. I was a kid, according to talking to my parents, I was very uh, outgoing before second grade. I wanted to always be up at the blackboard, talking, reading, whatever, very, very theatric. Um, that starting the stuttering came in second grade, and I had a distinct moment uh, when I was taken out of the classroom to be informed that I stutter, which scared me. I didn't even know what, what the word was. And by middle school, it was really rough, but I had speech therapy, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. So that's five years of speech therapy in the school system. Um, it didn't match up with what, with my world. I was going into a little room at school and I looked at pictures and I didn't stutter. But what was going on outside of the speech room was totally different. I was avoiding uh, being teased and bullied, as I mentioned. I would point to menus and so forth and so on. And in sixth grade, I had an experience where I went in and confided my soul. I have to do a speech tomorrow and I'm terrified I'm going to stutter. And I was advised, just take, say five words and take a breath, five words, take a breath. You'll do fine. You won't stutter at all. I was sold a bill of goods person had very, very good intentions. I went in front of that class. I started stuttering and several kids started to laugh loud. And the teacher didn't really jump in there as, as, as a teacher should. I quit speech therapy that next day. And uh, any opportunities for it, I refused through middle school, through high school, through undergraduate school until I was about 23 and at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the Speech and Hearing Clinic, I met a woman named Florence Philly. She's the first woman I ever met that understood stuttering, understood me. It's like she could look in my soul. I moved from Wisconsin to Atlanta around age 23 with a severe stutter and had to figure out the rest myself. So I had no speech therapy, you know, from that moment on. But so I very much lived the life of a kid who stutters in the classroom all the way through college, things happened, comments, snide remarks. But um, so we're going to break this into 12 different talking points. Number one is, is it essential to educate and advocate? Tricia. Uh, my uh, opinion on that would be, yes, it very much is. Um, I did not have access to speech therapy growing up and being homeschooled, there wasn't as much pressure on me in school per se. Um, however, in the community in my neighborhood and so on in my church family and whatever else, there were definitely opportunities, as you said, where there was bullying and teasing and um, kids ostracizing me because they thought I talked strangely and so on. And I've definitely seen in my 
my children's life that unfortunately there's some stereotypes that go along with someone who stutters. People tend to assume that they are cognitively impaired in some way or that they are inherently other. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. it, it really does tend to attract uh, people who want to pick on a difference. Um, kids can be very sensitive as young as four or five years old and yes, start developing a, elaborate coping mechanisms with no adult or peer input even. So you have witnessed basically from the side as your children communicate with someone else, the reactions of listener. Yes. They can yes. grow impatient um, or show some sort of a bias. Yes. I've definitely seen people mm -hmm. stop talking to my child and start talking to me because they assumed that my child was not competent to answer mm, that's or tough. they were, or they were just tired of trying to decipher it. Mm -hmm. And that definitely does not lead to confidence on the part of the child. And it tends to allow their fear to grow larger than yeah. their personality. Yeah. Um, so you, when I asked a question, is it essential to educate and advocate? Your answer is yes. And I know you've done that with all three of your children. You've met with the teachers, the administrators, given them tangible guidelines to help their child and um, to make sure that their education environment is safe. Yes. What they have to say is sure. important. So, I had a question, why do some parents not ad educate and advocate? Some just don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. They may make assumptions that every learning environment is safe. Well, mm -hmm. I've been doing speech therapy for 29 years and I've been in Atlanta. I've helped children from basically every school from private to public to whatever. And I hear stories of teasing, bullying, and just stupid things like one child who was trying out for a play and he was having trouble with the word communication. It was a word in the play and he kept stuttering on it. So the person who was doing the, the play announced in front of the 30 kids or whatever with the stage hands and everyone else. Okay. Like basically Tim can't say the word. So we're going to change the word to talk. Everyone pick up their line, strike out the word communication, put in talk because Tim can't say it. You know, that's mm -hmm. just because the person didn't know the child stuttered, that kind of a traumatic thing can happen. So I encourage you parents out there, if your child was allergic to tree nuts, I guarantee you, you would be talking with the school. I want you to treat stuttering like that. So some parents might be embarrassed. Like my child, I don't want everyone to know he's daughter. So I won't go in there and, and um, tell the teachers that's feasible. That could happen. What if we don't do it? We literally roll the dice. On my website, there's a page dedicated to how to meet with teachers. And not only does it explain call the administrator versus placing this burden on homeroom. It gives you a list of very tangible things that will assist the child who stutters, many do's and a couple don'ts. And I encourage people get either face-to-face -face time or a Zoom or a phone call versus just a handout. Handouts can go in the garbage, never be read. This is way too important. But think about a child is being pushed around in PE. He runs up to the PE instructor and he's blocking. And the PE instructor doesn't know he stutters. He goes, Tim, just slow down. Think about what you're going to say. And gives him advice, which is humiliating. This stuff happens if they don't know. During a, a, a pandemic, this is late August of 2021, people are overwhelmed with policies, procedures, masking, social distancing. So take care of your child. Anything you want to add to that, Tricia? You have almost all my bullet points, but there's a couple of things. I'll just say that sometimes it can be, you know, 
sort of what we run into in the neurodivergence world that, well, I don't want my child to have this label because I'm afraid Mm -hmm. it'll make them, you know, singled out or target, or I'm afraid that, you know, it will limit them in some way. And my response to that is knowledge is freedom. Ignorance is a cage. The feelings can be dealt with later. (laughs) And I don't mean that flippantly, Mm -hmm. but just for the fact that, you know, having that ignorance is much more of a cage than just being upfront mm-hmm. and saying, okay, here's what we can expect. Yeah. Um, and when you lay that out for people, a lot of times you'll find a whole lot more compassion and a whole yes. lot more ability to head problems off at the past rather than waiting until the situation is dire and yes. someone happens to contact you or your child is just emotionally distraught mm-hmm. or psychologically damaged and then try to figure out how to deal with it on the backside. That's just yeah. really much more difficult. Yes. Very good. So bold bullet point number two, um, a lot of places in America, there is a oral reading time to test. One of them is called the Dibble, D-I-B-E-L. If you're a child who stutters, you are exempt from being forced to take it. The way it works is as a teacher is watching you, you're supposed to read a standardized paragraph as fast as you can. Every mispronunciation, every stutter, every anything, is counted against you. I've met children who have been held back a grade. They were diagnosed as illiterate, but they simply stuttered. So find out if your children are in, you know, first, second, third, whether they are, have this mandated reading test and advocate for your child because it discriminates against the child who stutters. May I talk to talk about your oldest son for a minute, Samuel? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so Samuel, I met him when he was six years and 11 months. And when he read out loud, he went into singing and putting ums in. So even at 6'11", he was putting a lot of avoidance things in, like singing. No one ever told him, hey, sing, buddy but he was trying to not stutter. Imagine if he was told, you will read this paragraph right now. It would have been devastating. It would have been completely biased against him and discriminating against him. So his, I I looked this up. Conversationally, his stuttering was 32%. His oral reading was 27%. Now I remember the same child speaking at a conference in May of 2019 to about a group of about 140 people. How about yes, that? That's pretty amazing. The so same kiddo. With, with the reading, uh, Samuel was never in a school that required dibbles, but Samuel mm. was in a school that had an oral reading evaluation system. Mm. And we had to work with administration to tweak that so that it did not measure anything related to fluency, such as the category of speed or the category Mm. of smoothness. The smoothness was a big factor as well as 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 speed. So yeah, it it kind of is. The smoothness (laughs) of your child is in question. We put a spotlight on the smoothness. So the other, you know, aspects of whether he was attending to it and, Mm -hmm. you know, whether he was, you know, had the phonics down and those sorts of things, you know, we concentrated on those and were able to weight them a little more heavily Mm -hmm. and allow the, I would have personally preferred that we just did away with the oral reading grade entirely and focused on comprehension, but that we at least made a compromise that did not um, unfairly Mm -hmm. discriminate against him for his fluency issues. You know, choral reading when an adult reads in unison with the child can reveal their ability to read and pronounce words. Is it standardized per se? No, but you say on three, we're gonna read together and you read exactly at the same time as the child and then you begin to talk softly, almost whispering. And then it's amazing, you can hear, oh my gosh, listen to what's hiding below that stutter. Yes. I've got countless videos of that. Talking point number three here, it's when children develop the identity of a stutterer. We know that most every study says that if stuttering is not resolved before age seven, that a child's not going to outgrow it. 
And if you dig in a little bit here, Piaget's pre-operational stage is between age two and six. As a child is cresting age five, moving to six and seven, their memory improves dramatically. Then they have what psychologists call comparing self to other. So let's pretend I'm six years old. I'm really aware of like who's better at soccer, whose handwriting is better, who won the spelling bee, who gets invited to birthday parties when I don't. I stutter, they don't. Kids think I'm weird or different because I stutter. Kids are pointing it out. They're asking, why do I do it? So I start developing the identity of a stutterer where I'm really focusing on my stuttering. And you mentioned temperament. Some kids are more sensitive than others. And I know I was sensitive. So when people started to call out my stuttering, I began to avoid, you know, the fight, the fight or flight response. So social anxiety in the DSM-5, it describes, it describes pe- people who stutter as having social anxiety. You understand that. I understand this. Almost anyone listening understands this. That you develop what is basically a phobia of stuttering. You might not raise your hand when you know the answer. You might not want to be in a play. And teasing and bullying increases the chances of fear and anxiety. Some studies indicate children who stutter are four times at risk for teasing and bullying. Wow. Right? Yes. Do, do, do you want to add to that? Sure. Well, just like you were saying about earlier, and you referenced the whole concept of trying not to stutter. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that illustration from the documentary, When I Stutter, is really appropriate here because mm-hmm. it talks about how that, you know, we breathe without thinking. We walk without thinking, most of us, and people who do not stutter tend to talk without thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you have something that interrupts your flow and concentration as much as stuttering does, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the natural tendency is to stop thinking about what it is you want to communicate, just thinking about talking. Yeah. Kind of like It's kind of like if you were to walk across a board on the mm-hmm. ground, you just think about walking. You're thinking about getting to the other side. What's your goal? I'm going to get to the other side by walking on this board. Okay. You put that board 20 feet in the air and all of a sudden you're not thinking about getting to mm-hmm. the other side anymore. You're thinking about not falling. Yes. Kids do the same thing. Yes. Adults do the same thing. When we stutter, we tend to stop thinking about our goal and communication. And we start thinking about the very unhealthy fixation of, I don't want anybody to know that I stutter. So I'm yeah. going to concentrate on not stuttering. And that is such a self-defeating cycle. I can't express Correct. to you how much more damage that does mm-hmm. than just freely in a relaxed manner, That's focusing right. on the actual speech and goals of communication. That's right. The, the malware that the brain downloads, changing vowels and changing to character voices and um, inserting all these things and adding body movements and mm-hmm. all the tension goes along with the avoidant behaviors is so much more damaging yep. and honestly so much more noticeable to the world around us that's right um than if we would just you know communicate freely right. and not not be ashamed of it as children start to develop the identity of the stutterer like when people think of me that's all they think about um the attempted solutions are the problem i look away exactly. i change words i put ums and as you mentioned character voices mm-hmm. I say I have to go to the bathroom when it's my turn to read, which is something I did a lot. And um, what's ironic is I have four sisters, so my bladder was massive. I had to share a bathroom with four girls. So if my teacher would have, would have known that, she'd have gone, wait a minute, dude. You got four sisters? You don't have to go to the bathroom every time you have to read, do you? <laughs> okay, number four. People unfamiliar to stuttering have to understand the day in, day out, just saying their name, the name of their job title, doing oral reports, school plays, show and tell, foreign language, group projects, debate team, uploading a video, just uploading a video that the whole class is going to see. I meet adults in their 40s and 50s who still have a phobia of saying their last name, their alma mater, their hometown, introducing their spouse, saying the name of their firm. They have a phobia of it. This is real. Um, Kids that decline being in a school play. Foreign language can be just a hot mess. 
if you stutter. And when you understand what it's like, see, every fall I get phone calls. My daughter just checked into a dorm at Georgia State, Emory, at Georgia Tech, and her stuttering is completely blown up. We don't understand what has happened. What has happened is they're in a brand new environment with new listeners. They're trying desperately not to stutter. So I personally draw comparisons between dyslexia and stuttering. Dyslexia is going to result in trouble with spelling, reading, reading comprehension, which can go through high school into college and can affect job placement. Mm -hmm. Stuttering can go with you through college into adulthood. It can affect your ability to do marketing and different things, calling 911 if you block. And so I believe that stuttering deserves treatment like dyslexia does, because I believe they have more in common than not. Do you, do you, do you have some thoughts on that? Actually, yes, that's a really, um, that's a really good point. And I really like that parallel. Um, my husband and my children are dyslexic. Mm. Um, so I, I can relate to that. I'm hyperlexic personally on the opposite side mm. of that. But um, I really believe that um, both of them are quote unquote invisible disabilities that mm. have a very great influence on kids um, estimation of their own worth mm. and abilities and That's intelligence. Deep. Many times dyslexics, because of lack of options and lack of knowledge, assume themselves to be stupid. Hmm. Um, my own yeah. son, Samuel, made that same assessment of himself before hmm. we knew anything about his dyslexia because mm -hmm. of the fact that he was doing a digital school that required him to do high-speed recitation. And he could not keep up with the other kids because of his fluency stuttering issues. and he looked at me and said, mom, everyone else can do it so fast. I can't do it like that. I must be stupid. That was so the end those of that learning style. <laughs> yeah. And you, you guys heard a while back that at six, at six years and 11 months, he was singing to not stutter. So that was different than dyslexia. So we had the stuttering and the early signs of avoidance. Then later, so those are separate. Not everyone who has dyslexia is singing mm -hmm. their words um, and doing strategy, you know, attempts to not stutter. So what's interesting is that we agree on the similarities of dyslexia and stuttering in many ways that it is essential to treat them. Some people are being told to stutter and you just don't treat it. You just accept it and embrace it and love it. At the same time, those individuals would never do it for dyslexia. I find that fascinating. In Atlanta, I can name a minimum of five schools that are dedicated to dyslexia and they charge close to 40 grand a year. I don't think we need a school dedicated to stuttering. I do think that if there's ways to help the child who stutters to stutter more easily, and to feel more comfortable standing in front of the classroom that we can afford him that. Do you agree? Absolutely, yes. Um, there is actually a bit more of a dearth in dyslexia education than you might think. Although there are private mm -hmm. schools dedicated to it, there is definitely a dire need in the public schools. Mm -hmm. Just putting a plug in here real quick. Um, the public schools call it specific learning disability and they have a very inadequate program of dealing with it for the most part. And in general, they don't tend to test for it until well after the ideal uh, window at which children mm -hmm. really um, can successfully read without creating differences from their peers, such as mm -hmm. we've talked about with stuttering. So there's definitely more advocacy work to do. But yes, I agree that um, especially among private uh, sources, dyslexia is there's Barton and Wilson and all these other Orton Gillingham based techniques to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and stuttering, like you said, doesn't necessarily need its own school, but it absolutely needs, uh, it needs advocates and it also needs parents and children to have resources to realize yeah. that if my child wants to be able to do the school play or wants mm -hmm. to be able to give a speech or whatever it is that they need to do, they ought to be able to have support for that. Mm -hmm. And there are absolutely valid and very helpful techniques 
um, for children to be able to have control. And I believe that's the thing that is so, so much missing. Kids who stuttered feel a distinct lack of autonomy, a distinct lack of control. Um, many of them anyway, in my experience, at least, and I can, I can feel it in my children, that helpless feeling of this is going to happen whether I like it or not. And there's not much I can do about it. And that, that powerless feeling is very damaging, especially Mm. over the course of years and offering children assistance and a way in which they can regain that control, I think is very advantageous in multiple ways. Yeah. Yeah. So we're dipping into words like the use of strategies and control. I know when I had severe blocking with facial grimaces, even spitting on my B's and P's, my face would go down to one side and I would spit. And I was told, say it, don't spray it multiple times by buddies. I wanted to learn how to stop that. I wanted, as my head went down, I wanted to, you know, pull it back up and not spit, not grimace. Saying my, my last name was horrific into my mid-20s. So there's an invitation here for actually learning some strategies, you know, Macasey, humming. And I, you know, it brought me joy to control the severity of my stuttering when introducing my name or the woman is now my wife. I mean, that brings me some, some satisfaction to be able to do that. Um, number five, when is it advisable for a child to present to his or her class on stuttering? There are situations when it's a good idea for a child to maybe stand in front of the class with the support of a teacher, maybe a parent, maybe the speech pathologist, and educate the class. I stutter. This is what it's like to stutter. These are ways, these are things that might help me. And please be patient with me, stuff like that. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Not every child who stutters needs to stand up and do that. And some would prefer not to. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yes, just like you said, um, it definitely needs to be something that is the child's idea, not something that's pushed on them by an authority or whatnot. Um, If they're excited about it and that's something that they would like to do, it's definitely an opportunity that they should be afforded. I think um, communication and coordination would be key in that instance that Mm -hmm. the teacher is amenable Mm -hmm. and willing to kind of supervise and offer support there Um, and that the child has a well-prepared plan. You know, here's some things that, you know, we can give you a little card with some bullet points of this is what you want to present. And, and here's a plan in case you feel overwhelmed. This is what you can say to the teacher and the teacher can, you know, help you and then hand it back to you, you know, have kind of this backup plan. So the kid Mm -hmm. knows, you know, first of all, what they're going to communicate and second, what they can do in case something goes wrong or they feel overwhelmed in the middle. Very good. Number six, the difference between enabling and empowering. I know parents who go to teachers and say, we would like Tim to be excused from giving an oral report. We would like him to be able to put it on a video at home and then only you see it or him come into your office during lunch and only you hear him talk. That would be an enabling. What pitfalls do you see in that, Tricia? Well, I see that by removing that expectation entirely, um, it's a temporary measure, number one. It doesn't solve anything long-term. The child is still doubtless going to encounter similar situations in the future. We've only pushed back the time bar a little ways. Mm-hmm. But we've also we've also taken away the chance for the child to succeed in that instance and have that sense of accomplishment in that instance. Um, We can remove obstacles in the way of success. Yes. But we don't want to remove the entire opportunity because then we don't have the ability in a controlled environment to allow the child to grow and learn. Mm -hmm. We end up putting it off to a future opportunity in adulthood and college Mm -hmm. and the job force where we no longer have any, any input or any way to assist the child once they've grown. So I do believe that accommodation is definitely valid, but the modification of removing it entirely can really have some pitfalls. Right. 
um, on my website, the list of strategies for teachers talks about accommodations. And idea of accommodation is if Tim would like to go first on the day when let's pretend five kids are going to do their PowerPoint, he'd like to be first, that that's an accommodation. Tim can, if they say you can't have no cards, guess what? Tim can have no cards. He has an accommodation for that. The problem with enabling, one of the many problems, is you're kicking the can down the road. You shelter the child. We have adult authority figures basically saying, Tim should not stand in front of the room and talk. He should be shielded. So these are adult authority figures putting up some plexiglass around him. The reality is one day Tim's going to get dropped off in his dormitory and immediately start having to say his name to complete strangers and then go in a classroom and have to introduce himself. Maybe he wants to join a fraternity sorority, do social things, maybe dating. And all of a sudden, an ordering for himself, calling his teacher because he was late on an assignment, having to go down to the health office, the health clinic to fill out some, doc some documents. And all of a sudden, he's completely thrown to the wolves if he was protected. So empowering is different. You use accommodations to empower the child to face this thing called stuttering, to become a self-advocate and speak up. Do you agree? Yes. So you have three kids who stutter. You would never enable them. You would empower them. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Great. So number seven is disclosure and self-advocacy for children who stutter. I will tell you that I attempted to conceal my stuttering through undergraduate and it was a big failure. I mean, and anyone that knew me knew I stuttered. I wasn't tricking anybody. I wasn't tricking myself. And the two things that I did that changed my life was I went to work at a front desk of a hotel in downtown Atlanta, pre-internet check-in, check-out at a convention hotel, 1,200 rooms, and the property would turn over some, sometimes the entire property. And this is pre-internet. You had to go to the counter to check-in, check-out. So I had a stream of people all day. I would receive phone calls at the front desk. I would make calls on behalf of a guest right in front of them. And so I made myself talk. I joined two, two Toastmasters clubs. So I went to two meetings a week. And then I went as a guest sometimes and competed in, to, in, in Toastmasters contests. That full immersion and starting to disclose, I stutter, you put all that special sauce together, gave me the courage to go to graduate school, uh, getting my master's degree in 1992. So disclosure and self-advocacy is growing. It's growing. We've got some good movies, My Beautiful Stutter, When I Stutter, and The President Stutters. So it's a conversation piece. Do you want to add to the power like you, if I remember, began to disclose circa 2018? Correct. Yes. When, when Samuel started uh, his speech therapy with you, um, you were the first adult that I had ever met that stuttered, that disclosed anyways. Um, and just the fact that I met someone that admitted they stuttered and took that identity was a little bit of a strange concept to me. I always thought it was something to hide. Mm -hmm. So your example helped me um, just have a framework for that. Yeah. And then it wasn't until really the first screening of the documentary, When I Stutter, um, like you said, in, in 2018, 2019, um, when I wrote a, uh, a poem for... Mm -hmm for that speech and 
the title of the poem was the same as a documentary when I stutter and mm. a friend of mine actually kind of called me on that title and he's not realizing that uh, you know it was in conjunction with the documentary per se asked me is why after reading the whole poem he asked why is that called when I stutter why didn't you title it when I ponder or some other mm. and and I I realized that I hadn't ever told one of my closest friends that I had yeah. known for years that I was a person mm -hmm. who stuttered. Yeah. Now I've had a, a relapse since then, but at that time I didn't really stutter very often. I didn't mm -hmm. have very many events. Um, so I could kind of hide it. And somehow I felt that was virtuous. And yet <laughs> once I started mm -hmm. to disclose that, once mm -hmm. I started to find the, wonderful deep empathetic community that stutterers are i realized that it was something to be proud of That's and cool. that the the more i kept it closeted away mm -hmm. the more i was denying not only an opportunity to be an advocate but also a part of who i was created to be and so i stopped being ashamed of that and i freely disclose it to whoever whenever yeah. now <laughs> and I'm, I'm very thankful for that shift because i believe psychologically it was a very positive thing for me the first time you spoke at a when i stutter you were referring to my disfluency of speech yes. my disfluency of speech and i said I trisha, an to the word stutter, I said, trisha yes. this is a really good time and a good audience for you to use the word stutter so we had a big laugh about that Okay, so college students, I'm talking to you right now. Email your professors, let them know you stutter. It serves you well. First of all, you're less inclined to be, to feel anxiety. You're less inclined to try to hide and conceal your stutter. Also, if there's a grading mechanism, for example, if you have to stand in front of the room, and it's a five minute hard stop. You can say, hey, I have a stutter. If I go to five minutes, 15 seconds, please do not penalize me. Mm -hmm. These rubrics, sometimes I've read some of these where you're not supposed to say us and ums. <laughs> well, so if the professor has no idea you stutter, you're standing there trying to not stutter. That's like in sports, don't miss it, don't miss it. Oh God, I missed it. Yes. So do yourself a favor and tell your professors and then as you become more and more comfortable, tell your friends on campus that you sometimes stutter. We never apologize for it. We just disclose. Disclosure is proven to reduce anxiety about stuttering. Our next thing, number eight is IEPs and 504s. This could be dedicated, let's be like two, two hours right now, but an IEP is an individual educational plan. It's probably in all 50 states. There's something called a 504 that's more formal. Some children who have ADHD, the parents go through the, the formality of getting a 504 so that they get extra time on tests and things like that. And then you have an acronym. What, what, what is it? S? SST, SST Student Support Track. That SST is support track. a real boon um, because yeah. something that the parent can, uh, um, the word's failing me, initiate. There we go. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. the school or the teacher will initiate it because of a behavior problem, but the parent can also ask for this. Mm -hmm. And it is, a, uh, it is a paper trail, but it is less involved and less box ticking of broad spectrum things than an IEP would mm -hmm. be. It allows you to meet with a school counselor, the SST director, your child's teacher, as well as the appropriate principal. And you can all sit in a room and strategize as to how to mm -hmm. best support your child. Yeah. Um, you can cover everything from recess accommodations to speech accommodations. That's to, right. Um, teachers being wary of bullying behaviors and teasing issues, mm -hmm. um, how to help your child succeed in classroom speaking, um, what, what kind of turn taking is best. It covers soup to nuts and it's, it's a real, um, it's a real blessing to any parent that wants to communicate with their school and develop a plan yeah. of support. So an IEP, a 504 or the SST all give 
a paper trail. It's documented that Tim stutters and he's to have a safe learning environment, some accommodations. Parents want to probably get one of the three. Otherwise, if there's no formality, then people forget your kid stutters and they might not, they might not be thinking, wait a minute. Um, Mrs. Davis is going on maternity leave. There's going to be a substitute. There could be multiple substitutes. It might not be the same one the whole time she's gone. Huh. We need to tell the substitute that Tim stutters. So there's the formality. Also, everyone knows, everyone know that the ADA protects you against discrimination. Whether it's a kid who stutters or an adult who stutters, you are protected. You have the laws behind you. Number nine, Trisha, your mom, three kids who stutter. What's your definition of quality speech therapy? Ooh, that's a good question. So quality speech therapy, in my opinion, involves a relationship between the therapist and the patient. Um, there needs to be a calm but fun, enjoyable structure to each session. There needs to be support. There needs to be fun. Uh, there needs to be discipline involved. Um, and sometimes a dog doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Ther- therapy dogs. Shout, yeah. out, shout out to therapy dogs, yes. Mm-hmm. But honestly, um, I believe Samuel reacted just as much to the psychology of what happened mm-hmm. in his speech therapy as yeah. he did to the physiology and strategy yeah. of what helped his speech. Well, in his case, when you have a child singing to not stutter and word changing, you need to integrate CBT. And there's a way to deliver CBT to a child who's about to turn seven by changing your language patterns from a sophisticated adult to a child. Yet at the end, you're helping them to confront a fear and avoidance. So I think we can agree that a holistic treatment that takes best practices from CBT and best practices from speech therapy, like your son, he benefited from a strategy called phrasing. Phrasing appeared in the King's speech. Joe Biden said that he he learned it from the nuns. It makes you sound like Morgan Freeman, which could be worse. um, (laughs) So anyways, there are things to, you know, to help everyone, please, um, SLPs never tell kids to take a deep breath. I have, if you look my name up on YouTube, Tim Mackesee, you'll see my, my video on proper breathing mechanics. And ENT went through the video with me before I, before I recorded it to confirm that I had all the anatomy of breathing correct. And SLPs have seen it. Please let go of the take a deep breath before you talk. Let go. If you begin to stutter, take a deep breath. Both of them make it worse. Um, number 10 just kind of expands on how did Samuel, remember he was 27% this fluent in reading. How did strategies help him? How did the phrasing help him? Well, um, in general, kids who stutter have three freebies. Supposedly, they're supposed to be able to sing, they're supposed to be able to recite, and they're supposed to be able to read according to the average statistics without too much trouble. And Samuel and many other kids have exceptions to those generalizations. And two of Samuel's were recitation and reading. I actually have my my youngest can't even sing without stuttering. So there's that. Um, so kids are highly individual. However, for the reading strategy, the phrasing was a game changer for Samuel. It helped him have the control and it helped him to have the structure that he needed to be able Mm -hmm. to successfully read, knowing where he was supposed to breathe, how many words he was supposed to put with that breath Mm. just was a, was a complete difference maker for him. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen him read in front of a group of 140 people and mm-hmm. nail it. Yes. Um, what's interesting, you said the three freebies. I just want to add something. Usually a child who's six or seven, the phonetic decoding slows their reading down so much that they're not stuttering. So you could have a six or seven-year-old who in narrative is very severe. The percentage of stuttering measured on the, on the SSI test, they could have a very severe stutter. Then you ask them to read, and it is so artificially slowed down from phonetic decoding. It's like driving through a, sub, a subdivision where the speed humps are every 10 feet apart. Like mm. the tur- turtle was sunning on a log at the lake. So because of phonetic decoding, working like an anti-lock brake system, slowing you down, there's no stuttering. But guess what happens later? You're a third, fourth, fifth grader, and you start stuttering when you read out loud. If you develop anxiety and anticipation of stuttering, then all of a sudden it is rampant in oral reading. And I am a prime example. By sixth grade, my oral reading was a train wreck. And it remained profound. Um, I was evaluated at age 23 at Wisconsin-Madison and my stuttering was 28%. When I, was, when I read out loud, I couldn't change words. But all day long I was putting in, yeah, uh, well, just like, like what, what I'm trying to is um, like say, so much word changing and garbage in my speech. But when I was asked to read, the robe came off. Mm-hmm. A quickie little thing right now, we're in the middle of the pandemic mm-hmm. and masks on kids who stutter. This is point number 11. I've heard stories and I've been witness to children who have profound stutters or silent blocks. Their face is shielded by a cloth mask and individuals, some with good intentions are like, what's that? Did you say medium rare, medium well, how do you want it? And then the child who stutters or the adult is like panicking because a server or someone is trying to seek what they're saying immediately because they're in a hurry. Um, I'm a big fan of the clear mask. My favorite is the bend-shaped mask. I did, I did a video for them pro bono where you can actually see the mouth so you can check out that video um, on YouTube. If you search my name and Ben Shape Mask, it'll come up, but it, uh, it allows you to see the mouth. So let's pretend um, this is a real story. A girl that just moved to Atlanta two weeks ago, first day of school. She had two incidents in the same day behind the cloth mask. Her first name begins with a T. She had to go down to the, to the front office for some reason. And the person said, what's your name? And nothing was coming out. Her tongue was was pressing, nothing came out. And this wise acre adult, quote unquote, said, we don't have a name. Later, the same day, first day of class in a brand new city in a brand new high school, in classroom, she had a similar block and a wise, wise <clears throat> blank. A kid <laughs> said, "Oh, you, you don't, you don't know, you don't know your name." Now, if I know her stuttering pattern very well, and if we could have seen through a clear mask her intent to communicate, mm-hmm. um, somebody would have said, "Okay, um, she's having trouble talking, but it's about to come out." So we wish we weren't here. This is a time to rethink masks. Mm -hmm. And if you stutter, um, it's really, really helpful for people to see your mouth, see it moving, see you have intention to be more patient with you. 
interesting. I've given some sample masks to a pharmacist who said it was a game changer because when the elderly come up to the counter, she can say things like, sir, take two tablets twice a day with a meal. A lot of people that come up to the pharmacy counter are elderly. Now they can see her mouth. A veterinarian friend is starting to wear a clear mask so that she can articulate what's going on with the animal a lot better. But look at these clear masks, lobby your school to get one. There's money from COVID, hundreds of billions of dollars. Tricia, you've tried a clear mask and your son has too. Yes, I, I was, like? was I was eager to speak to this because not only is stuttering a roadblock for me with the mass situation, because I'm autistic, I also struggle with auditory processing. So because my cognition is extremely high, I can cope with that for the most part, but I do read lips as do the hard of hearing and deaf population. So it is very, very helpful, uh, yes. advantageous. That's what I was looking for. Advantageous for people to be able to see your mouth um, as someone with an auditory processing. It's like, it's like being on a tape delay. Um, yeah. I heard everything you said, and I'm quite smart enough to understand it. It just takes me that extra few seconds to process. Yep. And I can eliminate that few seconds if I can read your lips. Mm -hmm. Now, from a stuttering perspective, I had a similar thing happen to me being at a restaurant where I had to speak through some kind of a microphone behind glass and I had a mask on and they couldn't see that I was trying to communicate. And one of my biggest anxiety triggers in relation to stuttering is being asked to repeat myself because it usually involves raising my voice yeah. and it involves the internal assumption that my communication was defective. And then I start I know better, but I start projecting all the things that the person is likely thinking about me because right. they had to ask me to repeat myself, which is completely self-defeating, but that's cool. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, all that to say, um, being able to have someone see that I'm, my mouth is moving and that I'm trying to communicate solves a lot of issues. I yep. actually had a lady, a very nice lady who advocated for me and actually gave my order because it got so frustrating that I actually became situationally mute wow. and I was unable to communicate at all. In wow. that setting. Yeah. And we know that children learn a lot of nonverbal language by looking at the facial expressions of a person. Is the person saying what they're saying, smiling? Is it friendly? Is it snarky? Mm -hmm. Are they mean? Are they stern? I can't tell. And little children really, you know, they have to learn the nuances of nonverbal, which is taken with the cloth mask. So another thing with that mm -hmm. is my youngest son has some articulation issues. So right. he's trying to learn to eliminate his gliding problems and pronounce R's correctly mm -hmm. and pronounce L's correctly instead of substituting with a W. And his speech therapist found that once she was wearing a clear mask, and he was able to see her mouth that all of a sudden he was able to imitate and exactly. master that in a way that he was never able to do without seeing her mouth. That's profound. So the SLP or teacher or tutor whose mouth is visible can teach better. What about like foreign language, a Spanish teacher, you can see their mouth, any foreign, really any teacher, to be honest with you. But when it comes to something like foreign language, uh, it's really helpful. So press your schools to provide a clear mask. I like the, the bend shape mask. Number 12, there is no cure for stuttering. We know that. Some people who stutter reach a level with very little stuttering. We know a lot of celebrities who stutter. Les Brown had a quote. You shoot for the moon. If you miss the moon, you hang from the stars. If a child with a marked stuttering problem who is self-conscious about it and stuttering and upset, they should be afforded the opportunity to get direct treatment. And I'll meet 
kids who stutter who are, for example, they're getting ready for their bar mitzvah. They want to start working at a fast food restaurant and they know that they apply online and then they've got a Zoom interview or phone interview as a first impression, a college interview. Someone has to speak for the Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. Someone's going to go and sell cookies and they're afraid because they're going to afraid to do it because of their stuttering. And we can provide them strategies and techniques to help them get the courage to do it. So sometimes a speech pathologist will talk the person out of their goals do you, do you have any thoughts on that topic? Well, I honestly believe that as a teacher, as an SLP, as a parent, as an advocate, whatever your situation is, a trusted friend of a person who stutters, um, you know, the, there's a quote from the scripture that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I believe that hope is very valuable and mm-hmm. having the ability to dream and have goals and being supported in the pursuing of your goals is extremely important. And by providing an atmosphere where there's a safe environment, there's zero, zero tolerance for bullying, mm-hmm. um, there is uh, opportunity for the child to use whatever gifts it is they have, whether that involves speech or whether it doesn't, mm-hmm. that um, we shouldn't remove protection from them and we shouldn't remove their hope. We should empower them, like you said, mm-hmm. as, as much as possible to be what they were created to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've even had kids try out for a, a, a debate team. And that, that's a trip because <laughs> debate tends to be when you're up at the high school debate level, you speak with a very rapid cadence. In the case of Jones against Georgia, it was found that. So there is a way actually to uh, teach what's called phrasing in a rapid, uh, rapid fire bursting way. But, um, you know, if somebody, a lot of times we reach, meet people with super specific, for example, I've started working at Chick-fil-A and I'm having trouble saying, may I serve the next guest? Mm. I literally had that a few weeks ago with a client. So they want to know, I mean, every day when I go to work, I'm terrified. I'm stuttering. People's eyes get big. I want to know exactly how to say that. Can you tell me exactly how to say that? I was helping an attorney who had trouble first thing in the morning when you stand up, you introduce yourself. He introduced your client and the name of his firm. And he was having difficulty saying his name every day, the name of his firm. And then depending upon the client was what their name began with, someday he was terrified. So he'd enter the courtroom with a panic attack. He had a very specific goal. Teach me how to say my name, the name of my firm, and introduce my client. Um, so... If that's what someone wants, let's do our best to provide that for them. Yes. There's a quote I like, the map is not the territory. And if we place our map on people who stutter, whether it's too grandiose, um, oh yeah, I can help everyone who stutters to become incredibly fluent. I saw a search, I was doing a search not long ago and I saw 12 days to fluency. Oh my. Paying, paying to move up in the search. That kind of stuff is ridiculous. But um, let's, uh, when somebody comes to us with a specific dream, a specific uh, goal for their speech, let's meet them and help them. Without, with also the concept that there's no cure for stuttering. Um, but somewhere in between, it's, it's not black and white, it's gray. So, As we conclude, this talk has been about preparing kids um, to go to school who stutter. You grew up stuttering. I grew up stuttering. You have three kids who stutter. And you've gone through meeting with teachers, IEPs, all that kind of thing. Um, 
These children deserve a safe environment, zero tolerance for bullying and teasing. Bullying and teasing increases anxiety and fear and avoidance and can affect them the rest of their life. I'll do therapy with adults who stutter and they're telling me about teasing and bullying incidents from grade school that still haunt them. And um, so a safe environment, we want to empower, not enable, give them accommodations, communicate with the teachers, partner with the teachers, let, let them know they're a key ingredient to the well-being of their child. So what, what would you like to add for final thoughts as a mother of three who stutters? Well, just some things listeners can do regardless of your qualifications or position to help mm -hmm. people who stutter. Um, sincerely showing interest in what we have to say. Um, patiently listening without rushing us, without fidgeting, without interrupting. <laughs> um, in the documentary, When I Stutter, one of the speech language pathologists who had a long time history of stuttering himself talked about that your time with a person who stutters is valuable and it may look different than anyone else you speak with. If they only get out two words and those are the two words that they wanted you to hear today, then those words are valuable. Yes, they and are. We should, we should respect their voice. Um, we can stand up for if someone is being teased or marginalized or excluded in our presence. Mm -hmm. We can encourage other people to be accepting and supportive of all differences. Mm -hmm. And we can do our part to enable people's growth and vision to the best extent that we can, sometimes just by being a faithful, loving friend. I love that. I love that. To expand just a little, the key ingredient I know you do with your children and that you're encouraging people to do is validate them. They come home, let's pretend they come home and they say, at lunch, I wanted to say things, but I was afraid to stutter. Mm -hmm. A parent that fails to validate might say the following, oh, that's silly. They're your friends. They like you and it doesn't really matter, you know, they if you stutter, you need to validate the child and say, so if I understand correctly, you were at lunch and you wanted to share and you held back because of stuttering. You might ask a question, what do you think would have happened if you did stutter? So now you're validating and gently probing, mm -hmm. gently probing, there's only, there's a limit to what you can do before you might engage a speech therapist, but validate the child. A lot of parents want to go into this um, pop-up mode, uh, puff them up, something like, oh, well, you know, your uncle Jerry stuttered and he became a high power attorney and you're going to be just fine. You know, it's not, not, not that big of a deal. They want to you know, this you rah rah. So I know you're also saying validate what your children is saying, ask questions, find out what's going on. Because if we fail to validate, what happens is when they're in high school, they're going to stop telling us about what's going on with their stuttering. I know people have become estranged. Another way to become estranged is if you hyper correct your child who stutters, you point out their stuttering, you um, you indicate to them that you're, you, you're, um, you're not satisfied with the way they talk. You let them down when you stutter. Uh, you're supposed to use those techniques you learned. Or, you know, we've been taking you to that speech therapist and, you know, you really have to use what you learned. So I'm just kind of throwing that in the end there that validate and support Tricia. Yes. Uh, just a case in point on that, that I have to say I learned from you and from Micah's uh, articulation SLP as well, is just having your, allowing your child to be in a place of security and not forcing them to do something that they're uncomfortable with. And that frees them mm -hmm. to have the confidence to do the right thing. For instance, mm -hmm. um, we went to a new location for something that my child was familiar with and enjoyed. 
but he started balking at walking in the door and presenting with a very insecure kind of whiny mm -hmm. attitude. And the temptation as a parent is to be like, listen, stop being a little, you know, brat and just go inside. You'll be fine. And I'll be the first to say that I've done that sometimes. <laughs> um, but I will say that taking the time to get down on the child's level and suspend the rush, rush, rush and ask, okay, you look like you're feeling pretty uncomfortable right now. Is that true? Yes, I am. Okay. Why is that? And sometimes a child just locks up. Um, and he might just say, well, I'm, I'm scared. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Um, well, maybe we don't have time for all the whys and wherefores of why exactly I'm scared, but would it help if you knew that you didn't have to speak to anyone unless you want to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that would help a lot. Okay, so we're not going to force the, hi, my name is so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. We're going to just say that speaking is optional right this minute until we feel comfortable. And then all of a sudden, just this weight lifted off his shoulders, and he started beaming, and he ran right in the door, and he immediately started talking. He didn't even need the time. He just needed the assurance that it wasn't going to be that. forced upon him. That expectation from me was you know and for him for himself was what was the roadblock so once we remove that then all of a sudden he's able to shine again mm -hmm. this has been so helpful thank you your insight growing up with a stutter and being a mom of three it's pretty hard to find anyone who has three kids who stutter um i've treated maybe um four families that had three right now i have one that has three that's about to be number four it's uncommon but um Stuttering does tend to run in families, but thanks for your time tonight. And I hope this helps parents and teachers better support kids who stutter. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you.